0: Before we begin today, we want to play a trailer from our friends at the podcast Crime Culture, in which the hosts explain how true crime and pop culture intersect. Here's Crime Culture. Is your Netflix queue basically all true crime movies and series? Do you ever wonder why you can't open a bottle of Tylenol without using the jaws of life? Crime Culture, hosted by me, Haley Langan, and me, Caitlin Mahar, is a podcast that discusses true crime, pop culture, and how the two relate. From killers that have inspired hit films like Silence of the Lambs to the motives for crimes such as the murder of John Lennon. Join Haley and me every Tuesday to discover the pop culture side of true crime. If you are just tuning in, we encourage you to go back and listen from episode one. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised.
1: To submit a theory, a tip, a question, or comment, please email us at tips at directappealpodcast.com or call us and leave a voicemail at 732-510-0996. As a reminder, Melanie will be answering your questions in a bonus episode. So don't forget to submit your questions by July 31st via email or voicemail.
0: Previously on Direct Appeal.
2: How about the dog hair that was found in the bags with his body? Where was this body packaged? It's been made a lot out of that. oh, she just got rid of his clothes like two days after she found out. In my mind, I'm getting divorced. We're packing up, we're moving, and I'm not aware he's dead. It's so grisly as to pretty much negate the possibility that anybody could do this without leaving forensic evidence behind. The mattress had gone to the dump, but at the very least, you can see it's not soaked in blood. All of these comparisons and found nothing. I'm indicted because a number of anonymous communications had been received. They found DNA and fingerprints, this communication that didn't match anybody. This is the stuff that I was ultimately acquitted of.
0: This is episode 12, The Verdict. So there are a couple more things that we should talk about with the defense. One of the things that Melanie brought up as concerning to her was not just the, the witnesses and the experts and who Joe didn't call, But she also brought up the fact that Joe was under some type of investigation at at the time of her trial.
2: And ultimately, I would find out that one of my attorneys was under federal investigation at that time and had just been advised of that. Now, apparently, legally, it's some gray area as to whether or not he has the responsibility to inform a client that he's representing at that point because obviously his attention as every anybody's attention would be elsewhere at that time but what i'm told at least by some people is that because it's a different jurisdiction he didn't have an obligation to inform me to me that just flies in the face of common sense that's kind of when our defense went on fast forward the experts dried up and all of a sudden i wasn't testifying anymore
0: Okay, so what is she talking about? What is this investigation? And should she have been made aware? So Joe, at one point, represented Bernard Carrick. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of Bernie Carrick? Sounds familiar, yeah. but I can't place it. For um, about a year, he was the um, police commissioner oh, Okay, in New York City. So here's the story about Bernard Carrick and Joe's involvement and what happened. So Bush nominated Carrick, and this is Bush Jr. nominated Carrick as the Secretary of U.S. Department Homeland Security. Um, in December 2004, but Carrick pretty quickly withdrew his nomination. An investigation ensued into his actions while he served as the New York, New York City Police Commissioner from 2000 to 2001. He was also the New York City Department Correction, uh, sorry, New York City Correction Department Commissioner from 1995 to 2000. So an investigation ensues and ultimately what happens is Carrick pleads guilty in Bronx Supreme Court to failing to report a loan and accepting a financial gift. Okay. I don't know, the, like I don't really know much about what happened. I remember it was news then and I remember he pled guilty to mm-hmm. something and, it, you know, he accepted a financial gift. You know, when you're in yeah. office, you're not supposed to. Yeah. So someone's giving him money for something. He pleads guilty. Mm-hmm. His His lawyer, was Joe Takapina. Okay. So what Carrick later claims is that he was convinced to take the plea by false representations made by his attorney, Joe Takapina. Carrick was investigated subsequently in the federal district in 2006 and Takapina stopped representing him after he was served with a grand jury subpoena. At that time, Takapina, according to Carrick, started cooperating with federal prosecutors. Carrick um, subsequently pled guilty in the Southern District of New York in 2009 to tax fraud and false statements. He was sentenced to four years in federal prison and he served his time at, um, from what I remember, at a minimum security um, institution in Maryland. So that was four years. And he files, eventually files a complaint against Takapina. And again, he's alleging that, you know, Joe um, convinced him to do certain things to take a deal that... um, he was his representation. He stopped representing mm-hmm. him and he started cooperating with the federal yeah. prosecutors who prosecuted Carrick on other charges. Okay, so he sort of like switched sides. And then once, so
1: after Tacapina switched sides, that's when Carrick went after him?
0: Yeah, well, Carrick actually, I mean, yeah. So Carrick, <sighs> he's not, Joe is not representing Carrick anymore. And he was, he was talking to the prosecutors Maybe cooperating in the investigation against Carrick, but it, it might've been that he was not cooperating. It might've been that there was nothing to do with the case before. Um, hmm. I think, as I understand it, Joe Tacopino was also friends with Carrick okay. on the outside. So he was, he had come under some type of investigation um let me just say this though, before I even give you the information that's relevant here, um Bernie Carrick filed a suit against Joe. Um he 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 filed a complaint against a civil him. civil suit you're talking about? Yeah, he filed a civil suit against him. Um I think it was like 2014, it mm-hmm. was later on. Uh the the suit was dismissed. Okay. And Joe then filed as I understand it Joe Tacapino. This is all from I pulled this, you know, mm-hmm. I'm getting these online. Public records. Yeah, public records and Joe then later filed, I think, um, a defamation suit mm. against Bernie for, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think that Bernhard Carrick filed a countersuit. And as I understand it, all the. things su- match. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As I understand it, just so to be clear, I think all the suits have been dismissed. Okay. Um, so, and I think, um, I know that uh, Carrick's suit was definitely, I know this suit was definitely, the initial one was definitely mm-hmm. dismissed. I know the counter one filed by Carrick was dismissed. What about f- the counter, counter, counter? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I know Joe's was dismissed as well, but I think it had some merit. Like it was dismissed. There was some stipulation, maybe like with merit or something. I'm not really sure. Okay. I don't really know the exact. They were all pretty much dismissed. But here's why, I mean, why is it relevant? Um, it's relevant because this was going on at the time of Melanie's trial. Um, okay. It's relevant because they he was meeting with prosecutors, I guess, during that time. And let's see, here's why it's relevant. It alleges this in this suit, even though this complaint was dismissed, I'm sure some of the dates have to be correct. Yeah. So it looks like in this, it says about March 12, 2007, federal prosecutors involved in the grand jury investigation against Mr. Carrick served Mr. Tacopina with a grand jury subpoena calling for the blanket production of records from his law firm relating to Bernard Carrick. On information soon after, De- defendant Tacopina was informed that he himself was under investigation by the U.S. Attorney's Office for financial and tax crimes. Now, do I know if that, you know, this suit was dismissed, so I, didn't, mm-hmm. I don't know about any of these, maybe all these allegations were dismissed, but the time frame that we're looking at, if he was served with a subpoena on March 12th, that's Melanie's trial. Yeah. That's prime time So her you're trial. suggesting that he had a lot going on at the time. Yeah, I'm suggesting that he had a, a lot going on at the time. Melanie says that too. Um, she's like, I didn't know at the time, you know why why was Joe? She said that he seemed pre he was seemingly more preoccupied, right? Okay, there were things going on, and you know she's saying he's he, he's getting things wrong. He did this great job on cross examination, but then all of a sudden he's falling off the wagon. And what about Toronto? He's like, does he take in a back seat at some point? Like, well, Toronto's co-counsel. And, okay. and, and, you know, he does, as we talked about, he does the work, but he's not the face of the trial. Steve Toronto did the opening. And the closing was? Done by Joe. But. Takapina. Okay. That's a good way to lead us into the closing, actually, because um, according to Melanie, Joe paid an outside firm to write the closing statements or the summation.
2: Now, in terms of the closing, it turns out that Joe retained someone to prepare the closing for him. It's not like they had this from the beginning, like, okay, these people, hi, this is Sally and Joe, and they're gonna do our closing arguments and, you know, stay one of the trial. No, these people had not been there. And he contracted with somebody to prepare this closing argument, and they know what they're doing. They'll be able to do it much better than I could. You know, that's I'm I'm a courtroom guy. I'm not the guy who sits there and makes up graphics and stuff like that. Hell, if I had known that, I would have prepared the damn PowerPoint slides. I certainly could have. Now, if you're going to spend thirty-five thousand dollars on anything, it should have been other experts.
0: I'm thirty-five <laughs> $35,000. Are they hiring? I want to do that too. That's. <laughs> Wow. Um, so I want to say for the record, I don't have anything to substantiate this claim. Okay. Melanie has said it a number of times to me. And to her credit, 95% of what she said to me in terms of the legal mm-hmm. stuff, I've been able to verify, but I don't have any receipts or anything. But you have been able to verify that he did, in fact, hire someone to write the closing? I haven't. No. Okay. This is all according to gotcha. Melanie. Okay. But, and so she said 35000 And I said, the thirty-five. F- You know, this this is a lot of money. Okay, so yeah, I saw your face. I thought we should pause because you (laughs) look like you're about to freak out.
2: You know, he started with, okay, luminol reacts with blood and bleach, so even if I had cleaned up, you would still see luminol. If i bleached the apartment, there would have been, you know, positives all over the place. Okay, fine. Mentions that nobody checked at the Econo Lodge, the brochure that was on the front seat of Bill's car. Now, I get that you're trying to point out deficiencies here. To me, that's not what what you leave with. That's not the biggest gaping hole here. He argued that they didn't investigate Jim or Brad, which isn't a good argument, because they did. At least Brad. That that I know. They turned his life upside down. That only one bullet had fibers on it, and it doesn't make sense to silence only one shot. Now, Okay, again, the things that were being brought out were being brought out by people who hadn't been present for the whole trial. You know, imagine how overwhelming the information was to them. And, you know, you tell, he said, you tell jurors don't play detective, but he referred them. He said, I want you to go look at the records in evidence that were never displayed to you. Well, they were never displayed to the jury because you agreed to stipulate to them. Bill's pharmacy background, things like the credit card statements, bank statements, phone, you know, stuff that would have been good to kind of put in front of somebody's nose. You stipulated to them. So now you're going to tell the jury to go look at the stuff that isn't in evidence when they've got so much evidence to sort through. He said that Bill was taking depression medication. He alluded to that. That's incorrect. Bill's sister, Cindy, testified to the fact that their other sister believed he needed medication, and Cindy herself even admitted that she thought he might have depression and or might be bipolar, but he wasn't on medication. So where the hell does that come from? They had pulled so many different recording snippets, if you will. You know, you'd find Joe saying, okay, this is the last one I'm going to play, or here, I'm going to skip over this one, or I'm going to, if you're skipping over it, like, why is it in there? If you're skipping things from your own summation, what does that make it look like?
0: I have to agree. I thought yeah. that was troubling to me. You know, just offhand going, uh, he's he's looking through the submission going, skip, skip, you know. Uh, <laughs> usually a tri- uh, when you're writing your summation, mm-hmm. we can talk about this in a minute, but this is all the critical points. And this you're is hit- like
1: one of the most important, like if is not the most important part of, this is the last thing the jury's left with. Last thing they're left with. Do you want me to wait? Yeah, let's wait. Yeah, okay. let's wait.
0: I just had to okay. stop.
2: You know, he was saying basically anybody that that wasn't called by the state, we would have called. Like, for instance, um, Dr. Scott from my practice. If, If the state hadn't called him, we would have called him. But as he was going on with that, he was going et cetera, et cetera, et cetera like, you can't etc over anything in a closing argument when you're supposed to be drawing things together. You know, the phrase people use a lot is like phoning it in. It's beyond that. It's like phoning it in with, a, with you know, half a battery. It's it, you gave them nothing, even remotely comparable. You just left them with Patty's version of events. By the time that was over, I was, I was sick to my stomach. And the courthouse had flooded that day. So we got our closing done, and the courthouse was closed for the rest of the day. So the state got all night to rewrite their no. closing, mm. at which they led with first thing the next morning. There was so much more that could have... Been said, and Joe is a very charismatic guy when when he wants to be. But he wasn't. He wasn't on. He just. I can't think of any other way to say it. He just wasn't on. Knowing what I know now was going on in his life, it explains just about everything.
1: Before I talk about the general issue here, I'm curious. What is the Econo Lodge brochure? That's the first time
0: I've heard about that. The Econo Lodge. Okay, so there are a couple things found in bills. You say crop.
1: Econo, I say
0: econo, <laughs> I just had to <laughs> correct you. Right? Yeah. Um, there are a couple of things found in Bill's car, so I guess you know the coral hydrate was found in yeah. his car, but they found a brochure for an Econolodge. where without an AC, yeah, and something else, another another AC brochure. But they didn't investigate. It sounds
1: like they didn't, not to my knowledge, because you would think they would have at least gone to those and said, "Hey,
0: can we see your footage? Like your Listen, cameras?" Maybe they did. Okay, uh, to my I don't know either way is the answer. Okay,
1: okay. I think most importantly is i don't i guess you can't, but doesn't this seem a little bit about like inadequate defense or is is an inadequate defense claim only relevant if it is um considered something that would have drastically changed the course of a Events or
0: so the decision to retain again a firm so I had asked I consulted with two people that I knew in this field Um and one of them the expert is going to talk to us at some point but um and what I've heard is that it's not the standard practice like most most attorneys want to write their own
1: but if you're yeah if you're hiring, want to write their so, own
0: summation which is also but the closing I, so
1: for me it wasn't even the fact that it wasn't that he didn't write it which yes I was questioning that but the fact that there was incorrect information oh I in see. the closing yeah
0: the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, The Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: So I don't know. That probably is not strong enough to make an inadequate defense claim.
0: So they're going to bring it up uh, later on when Melanie files her appeal. Okay. She will bring it up on ineffective counsel. Oh, she does. Okay. Uh, does it's she actually? A it's true. a question. Does she bring up this issue? I think she does. I don't think it was one of her I don't strongest think it, points. Yeah, I don't think, I don't, I'm questioning it
1: myself. I don't know that it's strong, but I do know that there's a case to be made because we know that the, you know, the weight of closing on jurors
0: and the fact that the closing got botched up, I mean. I agree. He missed points, but, you know, he got things wrong. Um, yeah. So I think. Missing are, points is one thing, but saying inadequate. Yeah, there ad, were a know, couple inadequ- of things that were wrong. And then you heard the end. So what happened was, um, they closed on his closing and Patty didn't have to well, go. Well, that's my biggest issue is the jury
1: is getting, to their whoever they're hearing from last is going to stick with them, right? The fact that it's like the slate's washed clean. Whatever he said yesterday, I like forgot about it. And all I'm hearing is Patty. Well, now they're going to hear And her. then I'm going to deliberate. Right.
0: You know, so and that's she the problem. Had, well, the problem is she had an extra night. She got to change. Think about how much time she had. She got to go home and I don't know what her closing initially was, but whatever Joe addressed, if there was anything that she took issue with, oh my God. she has a whole night to sit down and, and rewrite it if she wants. She could rewrite the whole closing if she wants, which I'm sure did not happen. But but I'm
1: sure there's no way she didn't take something from that.
0: I would imagine it's she like it's took almost like them showing it. you their cards, right? You know, it's like you usually it doesn't happen like that. Yeah, no, I, I does. I mean, I'm sure that it does happen in cases where look. Closing arguments sometimes will go a long time. If you think about it in murder trials, sometimes closing arguments can be, you know, six hours. So I I do think that it happens in instances. It definitely does. But in this, uh, this time, I don't think it was a planned. Do you know about how long the closing was? Uh, There were a couple hours. um, Oh, his was. Yeah, his was a couple hours. So I think Melanie said, I'm sure we could find this out, but I think Melanie said about two hours, maybe a little bit longer. Okay. Regardless circumstance, whether, whatever, she got, you know, extra, extra time. So I asked Melanie, you know, Melanie talked about Joe's closing statements as the end of their defense. Mm -hmm. And then I asked her, well, what about Patty's closings? Because then, you know, the prosecution gets to do their closing Mm -hmm. statement. And she said, well, she told a story. Um, you know, we didn't have a story, but Patty tells a story. Does she get everything right? No. Does she exaggerate? Yes. Um, so the story is important, too. And Takapina
1: did not have a story whatsoever, right? No, Patty sure did. Uh-huh.
2: His closing was one thing, but then hearing her closing was so markedly different and so, so much stronger that it, it really... It kind of terrified me. So the next day, she gets up and she starts, you know, and she's saying, okay, basically, Melanie doesn't get points for, for being clever in certain areas of this. yeah. You know, whereas Joe had tried to say, well, she can't be basically an evil genius and a bumbling idiot at the same time. We start with the gun is consistent with the make and model and that whole mantra. And she's trying to say that there are no calls from me to Bill, and that means clearly that I already knew he was dead. Is it possible that that night, maybe in celebration, they were having a drink when the chlorohydrate was administered. I would say whatever started, that execution started to be. The execution of the murder started in the apartment that night. And I would suggest to you it's very difficult to move someone who is unconscious, especially in an apartment complex. But is it possible? Of course it's possible. And I don't have to prove it happened in the apartment, but we are going to go over the evidence because they submit to you there is an abundance, an abundance of evidence that does suggest that, indeed, it did happen in the apartment. She said it occurred in the showers talked about the positioning of the body. She tried as much as she could to sort of anticipate their holes. Then she starts with drop cloth. Well, anybody who, you know, this, the defense is making it sound like it's this huge, gruesome scene and nobody would ever be able to clean, clean it up, but they would. You know, medical examiners do it every day. We kind of said, okay, there's no cut marks. There's no anything in the tub. You would see chips in the, in the porcelain. In fact, um, Mr. Lesniak testified that there was no disturbance to the bottom of the stall, to the tile around the stall. And she said that that ties in the razor stubble being stuck to the tape in the bathroom. But she's tying this up really neatly. Yep, really easy to think about razor stubble in a bathroom. She's making the explanation cleaner and neater. She also argued that I could have silenced the saw or saws, with a pillow or a towel. Let that one hang out there for a minute. Um, yeah, I, I don't know about that. I'm kicking him. Yeah, but you know, it, it, you look scared if you object during the closing. Dude, what? She just said that I silenced a circular saw with a towel. Where is that in evidence?
0: Okay, so I, <laughs> one of the most ridiculous things I think I've ever heard and, and during this came during mm-hmm. this trial is that Melanie silenced a reciprocating saw with a pillow or no, a towel. I can't imagine that. Like an electric um, saw during, you know, <laughs> cutting away. I thought that was, I yeah. think that's one of those ludicrous moments. And I like what Melanie said. Okay, we'll let that one hang She's out there funny. for a minute. Yeah,
1: I, I love her little sayings. Um, also, I know that Melanie was not a suspect right away, but I'm assuming they interviewed people. Wouldn't Melanie... Or was she? You gave me a look like she was. I interviewed her pretty quickly. But she didn't have any cuts on her, right? If you're using a saw to cut up a body, like, wouldn't you hurt yourself at some point? Or are you, like, you're upset and you're trying to do this quick and quiet and, right?
0: Well, I don't know. Did you saw yourself? Is that what you mean?
1: I don't know. You would think she'd (laughs) have, (laughs) like... There's no knife. It's a saw. I know, but I don't know. I just feel like... The way they painted as if she was doing a
0: lot of like physical labor here. I would expect some to. sort of bruising. Or, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it was her accomplice that did this oh, part. Oh, that's
1: true. That's true. Okay.
0: I'm not really sure, but I did think the reciprocating saw was was ridiculous. Yeah. And What's so, the razor
1: stubble? I don't, I don't understand what that's all about.
0: Yeah, there were hairs found on the tape on the garbage bags. And I think the prosecution's assertion was that these were like stubble, uh, razor stubble, and that... It obviously came from Melanie tracking Bill's razor stubble from the bathroom where she was, you know, cutting up his body. At least I think that's what they were inferring or implicating. And so I guess Melanie's talking about now, um, you know, why didn't they object to this, you know, some of this stuff and... She said it would have made them look defensive. Is that what she said? Defensive, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So it's like the, calling attention to something. Like, no, no, you know. Yeah.
2: Well, she's arguing facts, not an evidence. Um, but at one point, you know, Patty says, um, "Where is it?" Uh, she admits, and you heard it in her own voice. She admits to parking the car at the Flamingo, and then she claims to take a cab from Atlantic City to Woodbridge. And when she, because she couldn't find her car, and she sleeps on the way, and then takes, she had another cab from the Woodbridge train, train station back to Atlantic City. He stands up and says, "Your Honor, I object. That's an absolute." mischaracterization of the evidence how is it an absolute mischaracter this may be one of the few non-mischaracterizations
0: so she, that part was correct Patty's. Uh, what Melanie? So saying one is, thing that's correct joe i'm sure it wasn't the one oh, yeah, thing, but, but yes it was it was by and large she said that was right and he objected and said mischaracterization she was like no no what that is actually right
2: that's what yeah. you know
0: that's what happened okay. So that's what she's saying there it's just
2: the context she's painting it in. Now, that I can't blame on any company paid to do a closing. This is him at this point. Like, where's your head? Are you high? Like, we just spent eight weeks doing this. How do you not know this story inside, outside, back, front? How do you not know it? Uh, Mr. Lowry, let me just digress here since I have this right in front of me. You heard from Mr. Lowry on the defense case who told you, and this is in the transcript, he had a conversation with Bill about purchasing a gun, but there is no evidence before you or during this trial that Bill wanted to purchase a gun. The prosecution argued against the inclusion of that testimony, and now she's putting the exclusion of this information forward before the jury as proof of... So, you argued to keep it out. The judge said, okay, we'll keep it out. And then you go in front of a jury and you say, well, because this isn't here, clearly she's lying, and my own team doesn't stand up and object. Um, she's asking, like, for instance, where was I on May 3rd? You know, you didn't hear any evidence of where I was. Well, where I was was RMA updating my HR information and stuff like that. But- And she knows that, and she knows that very well, but because it wasn't brought out, anything that we failed to illustrate, she seized upon whether it was accurate or not, whether it pointed to my guilt or not. So she knew damn good and well where I was on May 3rd, because she had all the records, because otherwise you would have been hearing about nothing else. But Mason, her explanations were so much neater because it didn't require speculation in a bunch of different areas. Had I been on the stand, I could have said, this is what happened. We began with this and run through the timeline in such a way that you can't when you're trying to piece it together with different um, different witnesses. It's much it's much harder. So it's kind of, I don't want to say he said, she said, but we're going back and forth. And it's going to end up being, who do you believe? Well, if you presented experts for some things, you haven't presented experts for other things, and you just kind of leave them hanging there, what does it look like? She told a story. She told a story. Whether that story had holes in it at times or whether that story was unbelievable at times, it was a lot better than our story, which was non-existent.
0: It's a story. She did tell a story. I think that the arguments about, you know, well, you didn't hear this. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Yeah. Ick. Yeah, I don't like that either. But they have a lot of latitude in closing arguments. Mm -hmm. It's not evidence. The judge definitely instructs them at some point that this is not, now they're not supposed to argue things that are, you know, completely um, out of the scope. But they can speculate. Yeah, they can. <laughs> so while I don't like some of the things she argued, she was just, you could say she's a zealous prosecutor. She's yeah. a good prosecutor. Mm-hmm. She nailed it. She yeah. told a story and Melanie felt her stomach sinking in as um as Patty was doing this. Uh, so, uh, sorry, any questions? I want to no. say what happened right after. No,
1: I was just curious. It sounds like that's at the point where Melanie probably started to get pretty worried.
0: She's definitely worried. I mean, she's on trial for murder anyway, Yeah. And so with. But that, she thought. I mean, she probably thought that it was. She looking wasn't good. sure what to think. Mm-hmm. She had mixed feelings throughout. At this point, once the state finishes their closing, the case is over. Mm-hmm. Um, the state rests, the defense rests, and now it goes to the jury, and the jury has to deliberate until they come up with a verdict. So Melanie talks about right after the trial. What was it like waiting for the verdict?
2: And while we were waiting for the jury to come back, we were out that, that weekend. And then at one point, the jury came back and asked for a readback, something about testimony that had to do with the, um, the anonymous communication. So Joe and Steve are using this opportunity to reassure me, and it made sense at the time. Hey, if they're sweating the charges about the anonymous communication, there's no way they found you guilty of murder. There's no way they'd find you guilty of murder and be sweating of these charges over here. You definitely don't think that you're you're going to be convicted of such a heinous crime. that you have no involvement. I I mean, it's, it's mind boggling. And of course, intellectually, I can step back and I can say, okay, well, these are the things that make me look involved. These are the things that make me look guilty. Of course there are. You're, you're cohabitating with somebody. Your, your lives are inextricably intertwined. That's why the spouse is always the first person.
0: So I would have thought this, I would have thought the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, they're, they're reviewing testimony about the the, you know the anonymous communication whether or not I wrote a letter yeah. or not. They're I mean, if they're sweating that, yeah, I would have uh, the same indicator. I think I would have had. Yeah. How long were they? I don't know if you're going to get to this. If so, then you could tell me. Um, if I'm not mistaken, and it was they were a not sequestered. Yeah, they were. They were not sequestered. So this is what it's like. You know, she's waiting. So I guess you go through. You're asking me, what did she think? Well she wasn't sure what sort of right? Like, there were times where she said she felt like, you know, Joe would say, no, no, we're doing good. Like, look at what we, punch, we punched holes. And she'd mm-hmm. go, okay. And then she, um, you know, describes feeling like, you know, lackluster after they put on their case. Like, we didn't really do a great job. Mm-hmm. But again, Joe reassures her, we, did, we didn't have to. They, you yeah. know, we punched holes in everything. So... Then she hears his the closing by him. She describes after his closing in Patty. She said she felt, and I remember saying this to me, deflated. Yep. She thought, okay, uh, you know, we're in trouble. Yeah. And then when they got word that you know they were the jury was um, debating the anonymous communication, mm-hmm. she again and her lawyers are like, this is great. It's like you like know? a roller coaster. It's right? a total roller coaster yeah. ride for her. So um, this is how she describes waiting for the verdict, and then the verdict actually comes in.
2: I remember one of the sheriff's officers um, telling Steve that he thought they were getting close, and eventually they came in and said, okay, um, we've got it. And I'm trying to send a message um, to the the person I'm, I'm with at the time who's, who's been with me throughout this entire press for trial and whatever, and I'm trying to trying to email him and all I can get out is my hands are shaking so badly all I can get out is now I, I couldn't even form any other words. They brought us into the courtroom and I remember standing I remember um, waiting for the jury to be seated and at that point looking at their faces and I'm thinking, Oh my God, you know, and I'm don't read into it. Don't read into it. You're going to know in 10 seconds, like, you know, shut up. I'm having this inner dialogue, um, in my head and, you know, two voices going back and forth, look at them, don't look at them. Oh my God, their faces before you know it, you know, they, they give the, uh, they give the verdict and I don't remember a lot after that. I, remember kind of grabbing joe and i remember saying my kids my kids and i don't i don't really remember much um, after that i do remember being taken to county waiting to get from the verdict to sentencing was excruciating Absolutely excruciating. You know, you're, you're thinking, okay, well, we're going to appeal, we're going to do all of this, and you have no sense of how slow it is. How long it takes? About three months. In fact, it really nobody gives a shit. So nobody's helping you when it comes to things like transcripts, getting it. We had talked about what to expect, and at this point, my thing was, I, don't, I really don't give a shit what you say because... I'm protesting my innocence here. You can tell me 30, you can tell me life, you can tell me double life. I don't really give a shit. I'm not owning any of it. I'm not accepting any of it because I'm still at that point in my head, at that point in time, like, you know, no, this is a a grievous injustice and as tired and as hurt and as beaten down as I am, I'm not accepting that. I expected the worst and what I got was just one step shy of the worst and really for all intents and purposes they're indistinguishable. I was given life with the possibility for parole. However, life for the purposes of parole in the state of New Jersey is 75 years so I was given life plus 5 so that's 80 years. I would have to do 85% of due to the No Early Release Act and long story short that puts me parole eligible at the tender age of one so at that point, you may as well have given me life without parole. Um, the judge was duty bound to give me no less than 30. That's the mandatory minimum.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you've seen it as well, Megan, when the verdict was read and her reaction. It's kind of hard to watch. Yeah. Right? No, She's it's like really, grabbing
0: on to lawyer one of, for This is like, like a life. F- one of those famous scenes that people will remember again. It's hard to watch for sure. She has a very emotional reaction. Yep she grabs onto Joe and I think what she says is my babies, Mm -hmm. my babies and she just starts crying and pulling him in and he's trying to remain calm and standing. Yeah, he's pretty stoic, right? He was pretty stoic. Um, I think he was surprised but I think he hit it well but she, she really goes, Mm -hmm. you know, she loses it, of course. Mm -hmm. They say, it's funny because they say, you know, you'll see these cases and I've seen so many trials where the defendants, they say like guilty and they have nothing. Yeah. Like they don't move, they just look, you know, and I'm always like, God, yeah. I don't know. Is this the reaction of an innocent person? What she had, is that a... But a guilty person reacts like that too. Right. I Do they? Yeah. yeah. Because yeah.
1: If, if you're guilty, you're still getting your babies taken away from you. You're still, yeah. you know, going away for a long time.
0: Right. Well, I, I think we would encourage anyone who's listening um, to, you know, our, our listeners to at least take a look. You can Google YouTube. It was on reaction. court TV. Yeah. It was on court TV. So everyone can see the verdict. So... Or the whole trial, right? Uh, I don't. You know, it must be like archival footage. They don't have the whole thing, or gotcha. I haven't seen the whole thing. Um, but there are various. You can clips. probably get the openings, the closing, those the bigger parts on YouTube. You can, you can get um you can get some of this bit yeah. by bit. I mean we've we've done tidbit by tidbit. Mm-hmm. Um, we've looked at you know various scenes, but you can't get the whole thing oh, anymore okay. unless I don't know you are requested. It's yeah. old. Court TV doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it's now True TV, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah, or is it? Yeah, it's True TV, maybe. Okay. So this is the end. The trial is over. Melanie has been convicted for the murder of her husband. And what was the date of the um, verdict? Oh, it was shortly after. So the trial began in March. So okay. So it was... The verdict was um, sometime in April, the end of April 2007. Okay. So gotcha. this is three years after. So okay. this is April 2007. Mm-hmm. So it's three years after. So. Okay. And she's been incarcerated since. Yes. So after, um, Melanie, will talk about after the verdict, how she was in jail for a time and then she was waiting to be moved. And um, she's going to tell you about what it was like right after the verdict before she was transferred. And next time we'll talk about where she is now. Next time on Direct Appeal. Is Melanie an innocent woman wrongfully convicted, or is she a cold-hearted murderer, as the prosecution alleged? We will reveal our conclusions on the last episode of Direct Appeal. Direct Appeal is hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer is James Varga. The story arc was written by Megan Sachs. Music and Underscore by Dessert Media. Recorded, mixed, and edited by Justin Kral at JC Studios. Special thanks to Alan Tuckerman, whose work was integral to this production.
1: To view photos, evidence, and engage with other listeners, visit directappealpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and
0: Twitter. If you have a tip, you can submit through our website or by emailing tips at directappealpodcast.com. You can also help us out
1: by leaving a five-star review on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen.